Welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks for being here with us. And if you are a guest with us, my name is Ryan, one of the teaching pastors here at Grace, and we'd love to meet you if maybe we haven't met before, maybe hear how you made your way here today. And uh, thanks for being here with us in the room. Maybe if you tuned in online, thanks for doing that as well. Or if you're at our Montrose location, uh, thanks for being there. And we're going to dive into a new conversation, new series this weekend that's all about joy, and it's called Joyride, A Journey in Practicing Gratitude. And uh, that's really what we're going to dive into is just understanding, kind of unpacking what joy is, where it comes from. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what a lot of us are looking for. Uh, Whether we would call it that or not, uh, we can maybe debate about, but at the end of the day, that the achievements that we're striving after or the goals that we're looking to pursue, even more than happiness, I think most of us are actually looking for joy. Uh, we're, we're striving to find a kind of a deep and contented settledness, right, in, in our lives uh, that, that is uh, kind of beyond what words would describe and is not uh, fleeting, really doesn't change with our circumstances. Man, we, we want that. How do we get joy? And I think that's common to our human experience. And right, the flip side is also true. Nobody would look at their situation in their life and say, you know what, when I graduate high school, my goal by the time I turn 40 is to be profoundly miserable. Right? Like nobody says that. Uh, but you look around and uh, there's some misery right out there. And so how do we not go down that road? How do we go down a road that actually lands us in a place of joy, and we say, man, I, I want to go down that road kind of more and more and more. And I was thinking about this uh, in my own life, my own journey, kind of some of the things that maybe I have believed about life and about joy and how it maybe works or doesn't work. And here's some things that at least I have been tempted to believe over the years. I thought I'd share them with you guys because really I think they're common uh, to all of us. So let me show you these real quick. I, I said it, it's really tempting to believe that, that if, if things aren't great on the outside, that that equals that things aren't great on the inside. Hey, let, me, let me explain what I mean. If, if we would look around at somebody's circumstances that are less than ideal, the temptation is to believe, certainly, if they're not quite where they want to be or where I would want to be, if they don't have the job that they want or the income that they want, or if they haven't found someone yet, and they want to find someone, or their marriage is not quite awesome, certainly it's not really likely that they're on the inside going to have a joyful experience of life. The temptation is to believe that if our vision of life doesn't play out quite the way that we want to, then we're we're probably not really going to be happy or joyful on the inside. It's probably just not how it's going to play. And I think that the reality is, I think most of us kind of believe that. It's really tempting to believe that that's how it works, that, it, that if out here in the external of my life, if it doesn't play out the way that I want it to be, then I'm not going to be how I really want to be on the inside. And so what, what I think tends to happen for most of us, certainly this has been my experience, is we're going to chase fixing the outside in great, great hopes that if we can fix it out here, if I can get what I want on the outside, then it's going to kind of give me what I hope to have on the inside. When I get that goal accomplished, when I finish high school, when I finish college, when I find a girlfriend or boyfriend, when, I, when we get married, when we have a kid, when we find a house, when we pay off the debt, when we have enough, and after every one of those milestones, we hope that there's a little bit of joy at the end of that. And, it, and I think we all kind of recognize that's probably not actually how it works, right? Because I'm not sure that that's 
how it plays, that, that fixing the out here is really what's going to fix the in here. So the opposite's also true. I think it's tempting to believe this, that if things are great on the outside, then things are great on the inside. So we'll look around at celebrities or people that have an abundance, they're famous or they're financially secure and think, man, I, they, they probably have stresses in their lives, but, but I would, I would kind of have those stresses if I had that kind of income. You know, if I was a billionaire like them, certainly I could make a bunch of problems go away. I, I'm sure they enjoy their life more than I do. Maybe we'll never say these things even out loud, but we, we tend to believe then that if things are great out here, if people have found what I want to find, if people have made their vision come true, probably they've found joy. You know, probably that's how it works. And I remember the, kind of the first time that I was really challenged by that. Hello. <laughs> Jesus is calling. <laughs> I'm not sure. so, right? So I remember the first time I was really challenged by that. I, I was going on a mission trip one time, and, and some of you guys maybe have done this before. And when you go on a mission trip, oftentimes what's going to happen is you're going to go to an, a poverty-stricken area, a country usually outside the United States, and you're going to go see something very, very different. And the hope is that you're going to bring hope and help and support and, and kind of be a blessing to people. And uh, what often happens, certainly what happened to me the first mission trip that I went on, is I went in, we went to Mexico City, uh, one of the biggest cities in the world. It's massive, right? I think there's 30 million plus people there. And uh, we got to hang out with this church in Mexico City and, uh, and serve some folks kind of that hovered around that church. And I remember interacting with the people at the church, and I, I remember thinking they had like huts and dirt floors and like nothing about their physical situation is anything that I would want to have myself, right, if I'm just honest. And I remember thinking, wow, this is like really rough. And I noticed that those people, even though they were in these kind of horrible circumstances, were way more joyful than I was. Like they were overflowing with gratitude and with joy and with generosity, even though they had so very little. And it kind of short-circuited me. You know, I'm like, how does this equal this? This doesn't make sense. In my mind, what I've always kind of believed is that if you were in this kind of situation, probably on the inside, you felt pretty bad about it. But, but in fact, the opposite was kind of true. And, it, and I started to ask some deep questions about how these two things are connected to one another, how my external circumstances are connected to my internal joy, and do they actually affect one another or not? It's kind of a deep question. And, and what I want to do is uh, today and kind of over the next couple weeks here is I want us to dive into some of these answers. And I want us to look at kind of answering the question, where does this come from? Like, where does joy come from? Is it out here, and do I need to fix that in order to find it? Or does it come from somewhere else? And today, I'd love to dive into that answer a little bit. And, and even beyond that, I want us to look at how do we have joy when things are kind of messed up out here? Like, when, when life is hard, and when my circumstances are not quite what I want them to be, uh, like when it's difficult, how do I have joy in the thick of that? Like, how does that all work? So we're going to set up shop today and really dive after those couple answers. And next week, we'll kind of lean into the practical even more, some how-tos. But we want to set up shop really and really build kind of a paradigm on where joy comes from and how it can work in tough times. And we're going to do that by really looking at a guy, a kind of an ancient leader that would show up in the Bible 
And he's got a fascinating story that I have been deeply inspired by. And this is a guy who would find himself in a very challenging situation, uh, one that does not make any sense at first glance. And why I'm so inspired by him is he was able to find joy in the middle of a situation that nobody would want to be in. And I, I'm fascinated by how that works for him. How did you do that? Right? And, and I want to lead you kind of into a journey of seeing his story. So this is a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Some of us would know him as. And he's got an amazing story of really being against Jesus. He was kind of anti-Jesus, miraculously becomes a follower of Jesus, and then becomes kind of the primary leader of the early church. This is kind of first century AD, right? He would run all over the Roman Empire telling people about Christ. As he's doing that, he eventually winds up in jail for being a leader in the church, basically. So you got a guy, I'm just putting myself kind of in his skin, and I'm thinking, if I was a guy who said yes to Jesus and was kind of doing God's will, and I knew I was doing God's will, I'm doing the right thing, I'm trying to be obedient to God, I'm trying to love people, and then I find myself in jail for that, like in prison, literally it says that he's in chains, um, I, would, I would see that as a pretty major potential opportunity for bitterness. Like, God, where are you? I'm doing the thing that you wanted me to do. Like, where's the blessing? Right? Where, where, where's the fun? Like, how does this work? Why am I here when I'm doing exactly what you've asked me to do? Paul is somehow able, and I don't know how, like I don't know how long it took him, but he was able to wind himself through and land in a place where not only is he not bitter and resentful and angry at God, he's able to wind himself through and find enormous amounts of joy from a jail cell. And so he's going to write this letter, this book of the Bible, Philippians is the one, and he's going to, it's real short, four chapters. In that four chapters, he's going to use the word joy or rejoice 17 times. This guy is filled with joy in a situation that I'm absolutely positive he wouldn't pick, nor would he naturally enjoy. And so I want to know, how does this happen? Like, how does this guy get here? Right? And if you're a follower of Christ today, I think this conversation and this journey we're going to go on is going to be uh, helpful and encouraging to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of excited for you because I, I know for me, I grew up, and I would have said I was an atheist uh, until I started a relationship with Christ in college. And what I was looking for, I was looking for a faith that worked. Like I wasn't really interested in joining a religious club. Like, frankly, I thought that was lame. I had zero interest in just signing up and saying, oh, yeah, I want to be part of, the, like, the religious thing that I don't really believe in. I was looking for an actual faith that I could lean into and believe and would work no matter what happened. Like, if I failed or life failed or somebody quit on me or somebody left me or somebody died on me, my faith was going to work. And that's exactly what we're going to see today is that Paul is a guy that found a faith that worked he was able to have joy kind of no matter what happened to him. You, you could take away his health or his circumstances or anything that we might lean on to find stability and to find comfort, and it could all go away, but the joy is able to remain. I mean, I, at least for me, I would think if you're searching for something today, maybe searching even for a faith in Christ, 
this is something worth paying attention to because it's, it's the real deal. So fascinating story. I want to lead you guys into it. And we're, we're into Philippians chapter 1 as we're going to set up shop. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you want to. Uh, if not, you kind of just read along on the screen here as well. And so Paul is writing to this church that he helps start. And he's going to write to them and kind of tell them, hey, here's what's happened to me. Because they're all super curious. You can imagine, like, if Pastor Jeff was put in jail, we'd all want to know what's going on with that, right? That would certainly caused some uh, distress. So they're worried about it. They don't have news outlets to hear. So he's writing a letter and he wants them to understand kind of what's happened to him and even what God has done through it. So let me show you this verse real quick in Philippians chapter one. Starting verse 12, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, Right? What has happened to me? My being put in jail, my not being able to run all over the Roman Empire and tell people about Jesus, counterintuitively has actually served to advance the very mission that it seems like I have been uh, kind of restrained from advancing. The gospel, the story about Christ has moved forward because I'm put here. And again, I'm positive that Paul didn't get put in jail and instantly make sense of this. I'm positive it took him some time to get to this perspective. But he lands there, and I think it's an important thing that we should grab hold of. Because often, God will use difficulty and challenge and pain in our story to kind of move kingdom work or gospel work forward. His kind of his work happens a lot of times not in the midst of ease, but in the midst of, of pain and in difficulties. I, I said it this way here in your notes. I said, difficulties on earth create opportunities for heaven. Difficulties on earth often create opportunities for heaven. So when I'm kind of running into a situation that is frustrating or difficult, or maybe I'm living in one of those, often there's an enormous opportunity for God to work in ways that I might not see right away. And let me just say, like, naturally on my own, I'm terrible at seeing this stuff, personally. The, the, the way that I tend to naturally attack life is, is that. I want, I want to pursue something. I want to get something done. I have, like, a list of things that I want to accomplish. And as I pursue that list and those goals and, and focus on that, often for me, it's really, really easy for me to miss kind of the everyday opportunities that God is trying to invite me into. He's trying to show me, hey man, there's like eternal stuff that's happening all around you and you can't see it because you're chasing your thing over here. And that, that kind of happens all the time for me. Uh, one of those happened just about a month ago. I was, um, I was mowing my lawn and I started to notice that I have this huge oak tree. It's like massive in my front yard. And I don't know how the whole thing works, but I guess every handful of years you get this like absolute dump of acorns. And this is one of those years. And I just started to notice like, man, there's a lot of acorns in my yard. I'm mowing my lawn and, and I'm, I'm mowing and all of a sudden the mower just starts like sliding down the hill like there's a bunch of marbles, you know? And I'm like, this is like a real problem. I've got a lot of acorns. I mean, I can't just like leave them there anymore. I have to get rid of these things. And so I just kind of made a mental note that some, at some point, put it on the, you know, immeasurable list of things that dad has to get done, like all of us, right? Or kind of our chores list. I'm like, I got to deal with that at some point. So I had this afternoon open up 
And like down the list was get the acorns cleaned up if I get time to it. But I had about three or four other things that in my mind were more important, more urgent to get knocked off. I tried to start moving towards getting those things done. I couldn't get any of them done. All of them were frustrated and shut down. And so I was a little bit uh, grumpy about that. Now I'm finally at the acorns thing. So I'm like, fine, I'll do that. Right? And so I grab a rake and start trying to rake the acorns. And if you've ever done this before, this is completely ineffective. Okay? So don't even try. It doesn't work at all. And so I'm like, great. Now I got to like come up with a way to get the acorns out of my yard. And then I came up with a really awesome idea. It's like really good. Here's what I did. I was like, you know what would work great for this? Shop vac. I will get my shop vac and I will get a massive extension cord and I will suck these puppies right out of the yard, right? And that's exactly what I did, right? And it was right by the street. It's not like I could hide in the backyard while I shop vac my acorns up. So I was right there by the edge of the road, like a psycho, sucking acorns out of my yard with a shop vac, right? And now I'm into it. I'm a little frustrated, right, because I didn't get all my stuff done, and I got to do this acorn thing, and I could be doing a thousand other things, and now I'm doing this. And I'm sucking up my acorns with my shop vac, real focused on it, you know, for uh, way too long. I'm not going to tell you how long this, this was happening. But all of a sudden, I, I just look up for a second, and I look, I look over at the street, and there's a guy standing there watching me, <laughs> you know? And I, and I see his mouth moving, but I can't hear him. His shop back's running, you know? But, but he, was, he, he was bald and had a beard, so I knew he was awesome. And so I, I killed the shop back, and I walk over, and I was like, hey, man, what's happening? You know, he's, he's got a dog with him. He's walking his dog. And he goes, well, uh, it was the first time I walked by you. He goes, I thought this guy's insane, right? He goes, the next time I walked, I walked back around, and he goes, I thought, that's a pretty good idea, you know? And so he said, uh, he goes, I live about a mile or so away. I walk my dog all the time. He goes, I noticed you have this, like, massive wood pile that you have over here, which I like, I like wood a lot. And so when he mentioned my wood pile, I was like, we're going to be friends, you know? Like, we're going to bond. So we have this, like, we meet each other and start telling our stories Long story short, he starts opening up to me, has no idea like I'm a pastor or anything, and he starts telling me about his story of, of kind of moving from having a Christian upbringing to now wrestling deeply with his faith, almost on the verge kind of of atheism. He said, what's, what's kind of your story? And I, I said, man, my story's kind of the opposite. I was an atheist, and now I'm, I'm like really committed to, to Christ, and so we had this unbelievable connection, this hour and a half conversation in my yard while I'm holding my shop back, right? This is like real, a real thing. And so I walk, we, we exchange numbers and I'm putting my shop back away and I'm walking back through my yard and I'm thinking to myself, man, Lord, like this is why I'm on the planet, right Right? I didn't get any of the stuff done that I wanted to get done, and I'm a weird guy, shop back in acorns. Like, none, of this, none of this stuff even matters, but you are the one that led me to this opportunity for heaven that, that I almost totally missed. And, and it, it just caught me that God is doing this stuff all the time. Like, like, not just in sharing our faith, but there's moments and there's opportunities 
all around me all the time. And I'm just telling you guys, I, I want to be better at this because I, I often just, I think I miss it. I think I just am so focused on my own thing, I don't even connect the dots that God's trying to do something with me. And it was a reminder to me that there is no joy outside of God and what he wants to do in my life and what he's trying to do kind of in and through me. I ran into this quote, a friend sent this to me a few weeks ago, and I thought, man, this captures it perfectly. I got to share this with you guys, really helpful. This is by C.S. Lewis. Here's what he said. He said, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Did you hear that? What he's saying is, uh, is unbelievable. There is no such thing as a joy or a happiness or a peace that comes from me just living out my vision exactly the way I want it to be if God's not in the thick of it with me. Right? It just doesn't exist. Like if I want to have joy and I actually want to be deeply fulfilled, what I have to do is go back and recognize that the creator of me, the designer of me, knows how I work. And if I want to find joy, I actually have to find it from him. That, that he's the one I'm designed to run on. Like his purposes and his ways, even his presence in my life, is actually what feeds and builds and grows joy in me. It's fascinating. And I, I think this this is what Paul got a hold of somehow. You know, even, even in the midst of a jail cell, like he figured this out, and I want to know how, and I want to grab hold of it more and more. He continues the conversation. Look what he says, Philippians 1.13. So he says, as, as a result, as the result of me being in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, he's going to say. He's like, I want you to know, church, uh, that me being in a jail cell and not only has advanced the gospel, right? I got to tell people about Jesus here and there. He's, he's like the, 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 the whole kind of Roman guard that would be watching me in jail has learned about my story, that I'm in chains for Jesus. Because here's what would happen. Paul would be in jail and literally he would kind of have a guard attached to him every handful of hours and that guard would rotate in and out. And so Paul doesn't have to go run around and tell other people about Jesus. People come to him and are a captive audience, right? And if you're Paul and your mission and purpose to tell people about Jesus, you're like, hey man, let's talk about this, right? So he's going to share Jesus with all of these soldiers until the story has become saturated all throughout this area. Paul's able to look through the frustration, the seeming difficulty and frustration and setback of his earthly situation, and he's able to see kind of God's design and purpose and how God used this to maximize an impact even through a very frustrating, at least, situation, if not very, very, very painful. And I think this is critical for us to be able to see because 
the reality is all of us, like Paul, are in some kind of situation that is difficult or limiting or frustrating. Like I bet if we, if we took some time to unpack some stories, you, you would have some kind of story of, of feeling limited or in difficulty or in trial in your life. You'd have some kind of chains, so to say. Uh, sometimes those chains are physical. Like you're born with a limitation or you have a disease and you can't do everything that you want to do. And you have to figure out how do I live life in the midst of this jail cell, this set of chains that I'm in. Uh, sometimes it's, it's because of your actual faith in Jesus for those of you who are followers of Christ. Uh, some of you would look and say, you know, I'm, I'm in a very difficult marriage. Uh, I'm in a challenging marriage. And all the people around me would look at me and say, hey, man, you don't need to do this anymore. You do you. You deserve it. You deserve better. You deserve a better life. Why don't you take care of yourself? And you would say, you know what? I won't do that because I'm faithful to Jesus. I'll stay in this marriage. I'll fight for faithfulness. I'm in it for a purpose and a reason. Some of you are wrestling with singleness. And maybe the main reason you're wrestling with singleness is because you won't embrace a hookup culture. Everyone around you is doing that, but you're like, you know what, I want to fight for purity. And because of that, it's a little harder to find a date these days. Chains, limits. And we could go on and on and talk about a workplace that's frustrating. You can barely hold on and you're trying to be faithful in the midst of it. Whatever your pain is, whatever your difficulty is, if I'm able to, I can look in the middle of that situation, and if Christ is my purpose, it can be used and leveraged for great good. I said in your notes this way. I, I said it this. I said, when Christ is the purpose, pain becomes a platform. When Christ is my purpose, pain becomes my platform. My story, my difficulties, my chains are often the actual thing that leverages my effectiveness to help other people. And I think if we went around the room, we, we could unpack all that. Right? I know in my story, in my life, um, probably one of my biggest pain points is not growing up with a dad. Right? He lived multiple states away. We were disconnected. I saw him once or twice a year. And that left an incredible set of holes in me, so to say. And, and, and I ultimately think that those set of holes and that pain is what would lead me ultimately to a faith in Christ. Because it sent me on a search for joy and fulfillment and for the kind of the get me out of this pain. I, I, I'm broken inside. And I found Christ because of that. Not only did I find Christ because of that, but God would give me a set of fathers, all kinds of men who would invest into my life and pour into me and bring healing into my life. And here's the outcome. That pain turned into a platform. Now I'm a father. And I would look around and say, man, I have no greater joy than raising my kids and raising my family and investing into men who were fatherless. Like I, I love that stuff. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning, right? To, to give myself away to those who were hurting in kind of the situation that I was, who were lost and need to be found. Right? Pain got turned into a platform. 
in the midst of our chains, our limitations, God can do that. And this is important. Hear this piece. When we look at our chains, and we look at our jail cell, our limitations that are real and should not be ignored, there's a couple things I want to make sure you know about those and how God views that. He would see the, the reality of whatever your situation is and the pain of it, and his heart would break because of the pain that you experience. It's critical that you know that. God is not looking at you and saying, you know what, you just need to suck it up, right? Pretend it's fine and have joy. That's not it at all. He would look at you and say, I hurt for you. My heart breaks for you. There's a grief that needs to play out that's often under-embraced in the Christian church. So hear me, that's a, a critical piece. He just doesn't leave us there. He then moves us through to a place where our pain doesn't turn us into a victim. He uses it for good and leverages it and multiplies it and never wastes any pain or difficulty or even a tragedy if we allow him to use that in our lives. My argument is probably your most effective platform to help other people is probably going to come out of your greatest pain. It's been true in my life. Paul is living that out in his circumstance. I think we can live it out in our circumstance as well. He continues on in the passage. He says, and because of my chains, right? Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's going to say, hey, uh, not only was I able to find joy in the middle of this, and not only was God able to use me to like push the gospel forward, advance my purpose, I'm like, I'm doing exactly what I was made to do. But now all of the people that heard about what's happening over here in my life, they are made confident. They are bolstered. Now they are fired up because what they saw me do is embrace suffering. They, they saw me not become a victim and shrink back in the middle of it, what they, what they watch me do is see it and lean into it. Man, when, when we suffer well, it has an enormous impact around, uh, on the people around us. I just want you to think about this for a minute. When you watch someone suffer well, when you watch them take a situation that is difficult or heart-rendering or just frustrating, and you watch them endure it and find joy through it and watch God use it, if you're a person of faith, your faith is fired up through that. It's unbelievably impactful. I, I said it this way here. I said, suffering well starts a cascade of courage. When I suffer well, it creates a domino effect on the people around me. And that's true for you and how you impact me. When I talk to my friends that, that wrestle and suffer and are tormented uh, by homosexual temptation, and they don't engage it but remain faithful because of their faith in Christ, and they say, I'm going to live celibate now. Listen, I am, I am blown away by their example, and it gives me courage. When I look at, at the man or woman who has lost their spouse, and they continue to be willing to, to love Christ and believe in him and raise their kids, even though they're absolutely shattered, I think to myself, I have no idea how you're doing that. But your suffering and your embrace of your situation, even though it's really 
uh, it, it, it's unbelievably shattering. I walk away and say, man, I am in, I'm given courage. I can now embrace my chains, embrace my situation, and I can lean into it. Because here's the thing. One of the most pervasive and dangerous and poisonous lies of our day in the Christian world is that if you follow Jesus, you're going to have an easy, pain-free life, and it's going to just be smooth sailing. It's kind of like heaven on earth, right? You're, you could be rich and famous and great, and you're going you're to prosper in all these ways, and, and where's the message about suffering? Because I don't know anyone who's had an experience like I just described on this planet. This is earth. It is not heaven. So if I'm going to live a life of joy here on earth, part of the price of that, ready? Part of the price of that is I have to recognize that, that also next to joy is going to be pain. Part of the question I ask people when they're saying yes to Jesus is I, I tell them, you need to understand that following Jesus is a life of both pain and joy. Can you accept that? Can you accept that? Because Jesus is not going to take all your problems away. He's not going to take all your pain away. Here's what he will do. He will give you a joy that is beyond description. I promise you that. You can find that. You can have that in an unlimited supply. But in the meantime, I got to be able to look at suffering and say, will I lean into this? Because everything worth having, every great cause, every great accomplishment, every enduring relationship has a, a degree of suffering to it. If I can get over that, and recognize it, and suffer well, not only will I find joy in the middle of it, man, I'll give courage to the people around me. You want to live a life that matters? Suffer well. Embrace it. Don't shrink back and run away from it and run down a road of trying to outrun my pain and just live for self. Embrace love, and love is ultimately going to lead us to place at times of difficulty and suffering. Here's a big piece I want us to walk away with. Right, if, you, if, you, if you capture one thing, this is it today. Here's the truth. Joy isn't found in the absence of pain. Joy is found in the presence of Christ. Did you hear that? Joy is not found in the absence of pain. I can't outrun pain in this life. I can't. This is earth. So, so all of my efforts, and I've spent enormous amount of effort to try to be more comfortable and have more convenience and run away from suffering. Listen, that road does not lead to joy. If we stopped and thought about it, we would probably see it. Right? The reality is, is that I, if I want joy, I got to invite Christ into my life no matter where I find myself. So the road of outrunning pain won't lead there. I would look at you and say that the road of accomplishment won't lead there. The next hill I'm going to climb over and find joy on the other side, that, that's not going to happen either. What I have to do, if I want to find joy, I have to abandon both of those roads, the road of, of running away from pain and the road of accomplishing my way to joy. Say, I'm done with those. 
Jesus, I want to live life with you no matter where I find myself. That's it. No matter the chains, I should recognize them and acknowledge them. No matter the jail cell, no matter the situation that's going to play out, if I invite Christ into the thick of it, Jesus, I want you to live with me. You see my pain. You see the dreams in my heart. You know me, and you'll never leave me, and you'll never forsake me. I want to follow you. If we can abandon those two roads and say, I just don't believe that's where joy is found, what I think can happen is we, we awaken to the reality that joy was available the whole time. All of those moments I spent striving, running away, running towards, I, I, I could have been enjoying God and finding a deep joy that's beyond explanation. Here's the best news. That joy is available now. Right? Whether it's for the first time of saying yes to Christ, recognizing what he did for you on the cross, embracing him as Savior and Lord, or if you've been following Jesus forever but, but haven't actually been living life with him, it's available. You see, but, but things are messed up. I'm hurting. It, it's not done yet. It doesn't matter. Right here, right now, we can run to him. And he will bring a joy that is beyond description. Not pain-free, but real and lasting. And it will be a joy that cannot be stripped from you. It's built on a foundation that is solid and cannot fail. I want us to do that today and kind of invite Christ into our, our every day and recognize his presence there. Next week, we'll drive it farther into the practical, but it has to start here. I don't have the band come out. I want us to pray and uh, embrace the God that is longing to meet us, no matter where we are. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to say thank you today. God, thank you that joy is available because you are available. And Lord, I, I want you to, will you help us believe that? Believe deeply that what we're actually looking for and striving for and running for is you. And you've been here the whole time. Lord, today, we burn down the bridges to the roads that we have believed lead to joy. The road of running from pain and running towards comfort. 
and the road of running towards achievement and believing it'll land us with a promise of joy. We choose you. And we ask that you would help us to see right here, right now, how much you enjoy us and you forgive us and you love us and how eager you are to fill our hearts and ease our souls and give us a deep rest, a joy that's beyond explanation. Be with us here, Lord, even now.